0: Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. All right. Identity in Christ, uh, where does it all start? As always, it starts in the beginning. Um, but we are asking this question uh, really, who am I? So if we look here, Genesis chapter 1, you can just listen to this. This is a very familiar passage. Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, this is the description of the story of humanity. Uh, it is not a history text, it's not a science text. It's actually a poem describing the origins of humanity. It says this in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature. That moves on the ground. The Bible and the story of the Bible and the story of really the meaning of life that the Bible is giving us and the Jewish and Christian followers of the scriptures have long held to be true, the oldest of stories of humanity is that you and I were created to be in relationship with God, to partner with Him in the ruling of the garden that is the earth, and to bring this garden into flourishing throughout the earth, to bring human flourishing in the process of this partnership with God throughout the earth. This is the meaning that God gives us through the scriptures, to partner with him, to rule, to give our creativity, our ingenuity to this process, to this human project that God is about. But in this partnership, if you if you read a little bit further, as the story goes, humanity was not satisfied with belonging to God only, but wanted to define for themselves good and evil and their role and their identity in this human project. And In doing so, the story follows this harrowing journey of everyday people, people like you and me, some rulers, some servants, some men, some women, some poor, some rich, some outcasts, some on the inside, but people like you and me wrestling to try to create this garden state again without God and God interceding and interacting with humanity and trying to get them to see that no no I I I designed this whole thing. I set up the meaning and I gave you your identity and I'm calling you back now to live into the meaning of life. We ask this question, who am I? What am I here for? What is my identity? What is the meaning of life? I was feeling out applications for a college program that I'm in. Uh, a master's class in, or a master's program in missional leadership. And when you fill it out, they ask for a copy of your resume. And so you know, if you've ever done this process of working through your resume, which I'm sure many of you have, there is something that happens when you look over your resume, isn't there? You, you start to measure yourself a bit, and your identity in terms of success. It, you know, you have to wrestle with kind of the information that's there on the paper, right? Is, is this good enough? Like, does this sound right? Is there a way to wordsmith this to make it a little bit, you know, like, should that even be in there? I don't know. And you're kind of working through it. And how do I explain this position that I had in the past? So a little bit more, umph, right? And, We wordsmith, you know, I was the head cook in an international restaurant that helped, you know, I was responsible for a percentage of $4 billion in revenue when I worked at McDonald's at 14, you know? Like, we try to work this, because we're measuring, something is measuring our identity suddenly, and we're wrestling with that process, and no hate to those who've worked at McDonald's, or worked there, that was my first job. I think it's good for anybody to work at McDonald's, it's good to learn customer service. It's good to learn with the public around food. Man, that's a that's a lesson in character right there, to have to be kind and polite and still respectful when people are hungry and the order's wrong. It's good for the character. Who am I on paper? Right? We just uh, the staff. We just took this Grip Berkman uh, assessment, which is just a you know one of these one of these. assessments. And there's different kind of things that you can fall into, four quadrants. Are you a doer? Are you a communicator, an analyzer, a thinker? And I am like 100% a thinker. Like there was, I was all in this one square, like all of my, all of my diagnostics or whatever, they all came out in this one square. I am an idea person. I like innovation. I like, you know, being creative, long-term thinking. I like planning. I like abstract things. I get introspective. This was what was really interesting about the, uh, Mm -hmm. the report is that there's kind of this part of the report that says, this is what you look like when you're stressed, And there's this other part that says, this is what you look like in your normal behavior. And I look exactly the same in both parts. Like when I'm stressed, I'm introspective and kind of, you know, introverted. And when I'm feeling great about life, I'm introspective and introverted. So if you've experienced me in that way, I don't know if I'm having a good day or a bad day. I'm thinking about it, right? Like that's what I'm doing. So, but but we ask these questions, right? And there are strengths and weaknesses to these kind of assessments. We recognize, okay, it's good to be thoughtful and considerate. It's not good to disengage from people relationally, right? And so the, the assessment kind of helps you push, you know, where do you need to grow more in the work of becoming more like Jesus? But the question is, okay, then am I my resume? Like, am I all the things I said I've done in the past? What about the bad resume? Like, what about the resume before following Jesus? What about the resume of drug addiction and the toxic romantic relationships? and the lo- What about that resume? Am I that? Or, or am I my present form of being? Am I all that the Berkman test said I am? Or the Myers-Briggs or whatever your you know, assessment takes. Am I defined by now by how people experience me? We have to wrestle with this. The modern human journey in many ways has eclipsed the hero's journey and become now the searching for the question of who I am through self-realization. See, in the hero's journey, he goes out and he, be, he be, finds who he is through this, through this process, but then he comes back to give away himself to his community. In the modern story, though, this journey of self-actualization isn't for anybody else other than yourself. It's to know your truth, to be in touch with who you are so that you can find happiness. And we wrestle with this. Am I my past? Is my identity where I was born? Is my identity maybe who I was in high school or in college or my first career out of school? Or in a negative way, is my identity wrapped up in the things that people called me or the wounds that I received from a parent? Is that my identity? And the answer is some, on some level, yes. We are part our past and part our present and We make up the good, bad, and ugly of our family of origin, right? Our education, our demographics, our experiences, all these things. But is that all we are? Is that our identity? Because I can't change my past, so is that who I am? Am I my present? Am I the role that I play in people's lives? A father, a husband, a spouse, a minister, an employee? What about when I'm not those things? What about when the kids move out? What about when I no longer do that job? What's my identity then? There are two major spikes that we see in society around suicide. They happen in teenagers, and they happen in retired people. Why? Because in as, as a teenager, you and I have all gone through it. You're going, man, who am I? What's happening? How do I, who am I going to become? What is this all about? And we're trying to figure it out. And it's a dangerous process. But as retired people, we see this other spike. Why? Because suddenly I'm no longer my career. Maybe I can't even do the, I'm getting older. I can't even be the hobbies that I'm into. Who am I? This question haunts us, and if we're honest, I think most of us, we try to avoid answering it or we just take the easiest or quickest answer to whatever life gives us, but this is a question of why we are here, who we are, and what is the meaning of life. And our, our society's wrestling with it. We have identity politics and gender identity and identity crisis and ethnic identities and we're, we're trying to work it all out. Why? Because deep down, we know our identity is intimately tied to the meaning of our lives. And because we've removed God from the meaning of life as a culture, meaning has become relative to whatever you think it is. And so has your journey to figure out yourself. You now bear the burden on your own of figuring out your identity. Are you guys with me right there? Yeah. How do we answer this question, who am I? Am I what my parents told me I should be? If that's the case, you know, I'm, 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 the meaning of life is to make them proud. To, to make my family name, you know, to keep it going, to honor the lineage, whatever that is, right? But what happens when we find ourselves doing the very things our parents called us to do and we're miserable? Am I what others think of me? If so, then the meaning of life is just to kind of keep a high social capital, right? This is the guy who's taken like a million selfies of himself all the time, this in front of his Toyota whatever, you know, or I don't know, somebody else's car that he parked on the street, you know? Like, am I what people think of me? And you're just watching the Instagram feed and you're like, you don't own that car. You know what I mean? Well, what happens when the beauty or the six pack wears out and you're eaten up by the next young, beautiful person who steps in? What happens then to your identity? Am I my politics, red or blue or libertarian or center or whatever? Um, man, if that's the case, then the meaning of life is set by the pol- politicians I vote for. They tell me what this is all about, they shape and frame it for me. What happens to our identity when our politicians switch politics to stay in position? We haven't seen that happen, have we? <laughs> what happens? Am I my religious affiliation? And I'm like, I dress like people out of Hillsong, no discount to Hillsong, right? Like, I've got the, you know, he is greater than I on the back of my car, and I'm, you know, I've got a good relationship with my pastor, and I feel secure in my, my role and identity in the church. What happens when you're hurt by somebody in the church? What happens when the scandal comes out or the pastor lets you down? Where's your identity? Am I my sports team, I was in Washington in 2015. If you guys know what happened to the Seahawks in 2015 at the Super Bowl, they threw the ball at the one yard line instead of passing it to Marshawn Lynch and running it. People in Washington state where I lived did not go to work the next day because their sports team lost. You can't bring that moment up in conversation there. It's like, it's like a no-no, right? Like, think of whatever thing you don't want to bring up at, you know, family dinner around whoever. This is, you don't bring that moment up to anybody in Washington State. Or right, it's my identity and my things, the brand recognition, the markers of status. What happens when the money runs out? What happens when you no longer look good in the Gucci or whatever it is, right? We're wrestling with this identity and we're outsourcing it to other things, And the point is, is that because in our society, we belong to no one other than ourselves. We are curators of a wide array, a salad bar of options that we will choose as our identity. And from that identity, our meaning of what life is. And it is a burden that is too heavy for us to bear. There is an ambient anxiety that fills the Western culture today. Mark Sayers says, this ambient anxiety of who am I and what am I here for? Alan Noble, I picked up his book. It's a fascinating book. It's called You Are Not Your Own. And he points out that we in the West, we live in the most individualized and autonomous society in the history of humanity. And that all of our freedom is creating this crippling anxiety because if I belong to no one other than myself and I have the freedom to determine who I am based on my truth, then I have the burden of finding meaning of of life and my identity. And this is what he says here. He says, if we are our own, then all these great minds like Plato and Jesus and Michelangelo and Shakespeare, all they can do is recommend certain interpretations. They are only ever options. We have to decide for ourselves what each moment of life means. In this modern enlightened world, meaning is primarily something we feel. Not something we discover or recognize. It's subjective. It, it's an internal experience, not external reality that we acknowledge. Another way of understanding our predicament is that in the modern world, meaning cannot be imposed upon us from an outside source. Instead, our experience of life is something we must, sorry, is something we impose meaning upon. What he's saying is we make identity and self-actualization the meaning of life, and in this process of finding our true self, our authentic self, the highest and most purest pursuit in the Western world, so much so that we don't even blame the guy when he leaves his wife for another woman because he's just really after what we're all after to find his true self. He says what's happening there is crushing us because we weren't made to have to own that burden. Are you with me right there? Somebody once said Americans are the entrepreneurs of the self. We're just curating, who am I, right? And this is just kind of a quick kind of diagram of how this might look. We draw meaning from life by starting with our identity. Like we say, okay, once I can figure out who I am, then that will give my life meaning. And what God says, and what the Bible says, and what Jesus came to teach is that we should start with the meaning of life, and that will impart to us our identity. It will be where we draw who we are and what we're to do who are you? Well, if you're here today, at the very least, you're seeking to have that question answered on some level, right? What is the meaning of life? You are searching, and I'm glad that you're here. How do we figure this out? Enter first century rabbi Jesus, okay? Let's look at some of what he taught here. Matthew chapter 11. You guys doing okay? Here we go. Matthew chapter 11. He says this, for those who are searching, for those who are going, what is the meaning of life? How do I get back to that garden state? How do I understand my true identity? He offers this. In verse 27, all things have been committed to me by my Father, the Creator, the Source. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus defines the meaning of, of life as knowing the Father, knowing the creator of your very soul and body, the one who knows you more than you know yourself, more than, you know, the Facebook allegor- or al- algorithm knows you, right? The one who knows you, who made you, who designed you to live in His garden and to flourish and to partner with him, and to rule, to co-rule creation along with him. And Jesus makes this exclusive claim that only he knows how to get to that father. And to know this father, this creator who made you, is to intimately link up your life with Jesus himself so that you yoke your way of life to his. You let him lead you back to an easier way of carrying the burden of life. You let him lead you to a lighter experience of life, to placing your energies in a different way, to the knowledge and the relationship of God, your creator. It's been said you can't know God without knowing yourself, and you can't know yourself without knowing God. The point is of the Christian story that you are not your own. You are not your own. You are not designed to be the ultimate curator of your identity and meaning in life. And when we can live into that through the way of Jesus, it alleviates the burden. Are you, does that make sense? That's good news. You didn't create yourself or the world you live in. Meaning is not determined by you. It was determined long before you and I, and it is shown for its reality in the way of Jesus. And he invites us to join. He puts it this way to a religious man in John chapter 3. Take a look here in John chapter 3. In verse 1, Jesus explains it this way. He says There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot know the Father. You cannot see what I'm here to show you unless you are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit or born again. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus is a well defined human being, he knows his identity. He understands the meaning of life as far as he can tell. His identity is solidified in his role as a Pharisee and a teacher of the law. He's got all kinds of religious heritage that he can look back to and training. He is affirmed well by others in his life that this is who you are, Nicodemus. And Jesus says, Nick, you need to be born again. We look at this passage and we think, this is for the non-Christian. This is actually for the devout follower. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees, man, we couldn't hold a match to what the Pharisees knew about the Bible. We would be humiliated about how they were devout and how much they knew. And Jesus says to this man, you need rebirth. You need to be made new. And why? Because you are in control. You're still trying to curate this thing. You're still trying to define your identity and the meaning of life. You haven't been born of the Spirit yet. He says anyone who's born of the Spirit, they relinquish that control. They go, you know what? I'm going to let God lead me, I'm going to let Jesus define the meaning. Of life. I'm going to let Jesus define my identity as I follow him. Does that make sense? Yeah. To be led and in that leading reshaped and reformed and refined into who you were meant to be. The earliest Christians would call those who longed to follow Jesus to this kind of rebirth in Christ. Take a look at Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Look, identity is not an easy thing to unpack, so I'm looking at a lot of scriptures with you, Okay. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, this is the very first church service. This is the end of the church service, and he doesn't do an altar call. He doesn't ask people to raise their hands. He doesn't say, repeat after me. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. There is a marker for those who would be born of the water and the Spirit, for those who would be born again, for those who would be, who would be made new in their identity and the meaning of their life. And that marker is the immersion into Christ. It's this immersive experience at baptism. The whole self is put underwater. It's covered in the water. You come out soaked with the weight of the water now on you. They were soaked in Acts 2. They were coming out just... Some of you have seen these things. Um, what are they called? The things that they go down into and come out of? Do you guys anybody know? Jerusalem. Anybody know? Okay, it slipped my mind, so I can't remember what it is. But basically, you go to Jerusalem, and there are these things, basically like holes in the ground with stairs going down, and they would have water there, and then the stairs would go up. And they were for cleansing, ceremonial cleansing, before you go into the temple. So 3,000 people get baptized that day that Peter stands up and does this. What are they doing? They're going down. They're getting soaked in this water, and Peter's telling them, you are being immersed in the name of Jesus. You're coming out now bearing Jesus's name. You are hidden now in Christ. Repentance was to see the story of life And its meaning, as Jesus defined it, to know God by knowing him and to be led by him and to be transformed by the control of his spirit in your life, to co-rule with God in the flourishing of humanity. This meaning would give birth to a new identity of people called Christians. At baptism, in the name of Jesus... It would be this covenant marker of time for this new identity. Forgiveness of sins, the reception of the Holy Spirit, they were no longer defined by what they had done in the past. They were no longer defined by their spiritual resume even, good or bad. Now they took on this new identity as in Christ, baptized. They were carrying His name. And to those in first century To the Jewish believers who was mostly here in Acts 2, this idea of being baptized into the name of Jesus, it had really significance. Because in Exodus, God called them to carry his name and to not use his name in vain. Have you heard that before? This idea of the name of God was not it wasn't what we've made it to be, okay? Like my kids asked me the other day, what does gosh mean? I'm like, you know, I don't know what gosh is. It was kind of our Christian knees around using the word God when we said, oh my God, and we're, you know, we stubbed our toe in the kitchen or whatever. And That's actually not the idea of using the Lord's name in vain. It's not because you said God's name when you stubbed your toe or hit your hand. God's name went before Israel. They were bearing his name. They were identified as him. They were carrying his reputation. And so this idea of his name in vain, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, it had more to do with how you behave and love people and the hypocrisy that you might be giving into. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this idea when Peter says, hey, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. They know what that means. I need to now take on this name of Jesus as my identity and to go forward carrying that name to others around me. I am now representative of Jesus. Are you with me right there? Yeah. So the idea of being in Christ is one who bears his name. It had weight. Paul says this in Romans 6. Here's just kind of an easy Oh, maybe I don't have it. I thought I had. Yes, there it is. Romans six, easy diagram. Paul says the moment you are immersed into Jesus in your baptism, that there is a burial of your old life behind you. The old you is buried behind you, just as Christ buried sin, and you come out of the water. You are raised with Him, just as He was raised. From the dead to new life, you are raised to a new life, to a new identity. You now bear the name of Jesus, led by His Spirit, shaped and transformed by following His way, becoming more like Him. You belong to Him, not yourself. And now everything that He has is yours. That's the beauty of a covenant you see, in a covenant relationship, if me and Christian made a covenant relationship as the Bible called covenant relationships, we might kill an animal, spread his blood, and we, each of us would we'd cut a cow in half and we'd walk between the cow. Kind of weird, but that's what we'd do, right? And everything that Christian had on his side of his life, I now have access to. And everything that I have on my side of life, my wealth, my family, my support, Whatever he needs, he now has access to. This is a covenant relationship. Paul says, you were buried into the death of Christ. You are now engaged in a covenant relationship with Jesus. You come out to the new life that he has. Everything he has is yours. Everything you have is his. You are no longer your own. Here's the beauty. Those who are born again, who yoke their lives to this way of Jesus and are, processed, and are engaged in this process of being shaped and formed, it's, it's not to become a clone of Jesus. And this is what you need to hear. And this is actually where our, kind of our pursuit of self-actualization, it kind of comes from a good place in some ways. Like We want to be uniquely ourselves, right? The funny thing is, is that as we're all pursuing being uniquely ourselves, we all kind of end up looking alike, right? Like we all get the same haircut and we all wear the same brand coat and we all have the same phone and we all drive the same cars. And we, you know what I'm saying? So there is a part of us that inherently we want to live into our calling and our identity as uniquely who God made us. And the way of Jesus is not to shape you to be a clone of a first century rabbi. You will never, you'll never be a first century rabbi, okay? But it is to shape in you a worldview and a character to be embodying the love of Christ in who you are. As a single mom, as a spouse, as a teenager, as a student, as a whatever. Spiritual formation is about you becoming more like Jesus if he were you. Is that clear? This is the idea of our identity. We call this discipleship. I think I have something up there for that as well this idea of formation. It's an apprenticeship to the way of Jesus. It is forming and shaping in you who you are called to be. And this is, as I land here in communion, this is what I I just want to say. The goal of your spiritual formation is to become more like Jesus so that you can offer Jesus through your life to others. And this is the key difference in the world, because the world says, The modern thinker says, I want to become more like Jesus so I can be happier, so I can have an easier life, so that I can feel more fulfilled. And those things are true, but they're a byproduct of being more like Jesus. The goal of your spiritual formation is to become more like Jesus. And from that authenticity, from that place, that reshaping of who you are, to offer the love of Jesus to others as you. Does that make sense? This is what we're after. This is spiritual formation. This is the process of being led by the Spirit. And it's not actually something we do to ourselves. Formation following Jesus is we just say, hey, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to yoke up. You lead the way, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit transform me over this process. And if you've followed Jesus for any time, you've already experienced some transformation, right? Right? Hopefully. Hopefully, you are a little bit more humble than when you started out following Jesus. A little bit more loving, maybe a little bit more forgiving, maybe a little bit more serving, maybe a little bit more gracious. That's not because you did all the right things. It's because in those areas, you're allowing Jesus to lead you, to reshape you. And so, the question we have to ask, even as followers of Jesus, even like Nicodemus, is who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? This is less about an event and more about a journey, a process. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Is my identity rooted in my apprenticeship to Jesus, in who He says I am, in who He says others are, in, 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 how, in what He says life is all about? Or am I still trying to define meaning and identity by all the choices I have, I have in front of me? For some of you, this means you need to be baptized. Like there's this threshold moment of, am I going to give control over to Jesus, really? Or is it just nice to kind of come to church and to to be here with some good people and experience the fruit of this thing that we're doing? Or are you really going to give up control and let Jesus lead your life? You need the Holy Spirit You need forgiveness of sins. You need a covenant relationship with Jesus. For others, I think for many of us who've been baptized for some time, this means we need to continue to allow ourselves to be led by Jesus. We can all fall into this kind of management of our Christianity. where We've been doing this thing for a little while. We know the things to do and not do. and Kind of week in and week out, we feel pretty good about things, right? Still faithful to my wife and haven't, you know, whatever that is, right? Are you allowing yourself to be led by Jesus? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to have control in your life? You may be a Christian and still need to be born again. Like still need that. Again, that decision. I'm gonna be, I don't know where it's going. I don't even know where it's coming from, but here we go. Holy Spirit lead me, shape me in my identity to be more like Jesus. As we land here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says this, So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So my, my call to you today as we take the bread and the juice and we remember this covenant relationship is to just consider what is it going to mean for me to continue to become more like Jesus? And what am I thankful for? As I look back at, for me, the last 18 years of my life, what are some things I'm just thankful for that Christ has shaped in me, that weren't there? That would not I was, I was going in a different direction, but because of the way of Jesus, because I was born again, because of the Holy Spirit in my life, because of this definition of meaning and identity that I live into, man, look what's been shaped in me. What will it mean to continue that? Let's consider these things as we pray. <laughs>